Playlist with Ben and Fiona. Epigenetics, where trauma passes from one generation to another. It's worth thinking about. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV shows here at SBS, and I'm joined by my co-host, SBS channel manager, Ben Nguyen. Hey, Ben. Hey, Fee. How you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Recently on SBS, we had a very special TV event, which was the four-part series Hungry Ghosts, a new Australian drama. And we've got a very special episode of the playlist today where we're joined for a chat by one of the writers in the series, Jeremy Nguyen. So Hungry Ghosts, in case you haven't yet caught up with it, tells the story of a tomb in Vietnam accidentally opened on the eve of the Hungry Ghost Festival and a vengeful spirit is unleashed, bringing the dead with him. As these spirits wreak havoc across the Vietnamese-Australian community in Melbourne, Australia, reclaiming lost loves and exacting revenge, a young woman, May Lee, Catherine Van Davies, must rediscover her true heritage and accept her destiny to help bring balance to a community still traumatised by war. And if that sounds like a handful, just imagine what it would have been like in the writer's room. Yeah. Well, no need to imagine because we're going to find out. <laughs> so, well, should we jump to it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's hear from Jeremy Nguyen. Great. Jeremy Nguyen, thank you so much for joining us on The Playlist. It's a real treat to talk to you in person. Thank you for having me here. It's great to talk to you. And Jeremy, you're based in Melbourne. So first of all, we just wanted to ask you, how are you coping with the lockdown at the moment? Um, well, I'm right in one of those postcodes that originally, so I'm in West Footscray. Uh, I just moved here at the beginning of the year. Uh, my partner and I moved in together or I moved into her place and um, then this happened. So the way I look at it is my parents lived through a thing where their entire country disappeared and everything changed. And they had to stay a step ahead. They had to think about it and respond rather than continuing to, they had to be like, what's the world we're currently living in? And uh, I'm not my parents. I'm, I'm I like, you know, I'm born here, raised here. Uh, I'm like, what? How come I can't go to the shops? But it's, it's nice to know that humans have come through a lot and some that are directly related to me. Yeah. That's an excellent way to put it in perspective, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I live in a bit of a shed. So, um, you know, I'm, I write, um, but uh, my day job and much of my night job is also um, being an academic. And when I hear about my dad say he didn't have English as his first language, he fled a country where war just tore it apart. And then in a country that's not his own, like a brand new country where he's, he was the dean of a university when he was at a much younger age than I am. I work day and night on my stuff. I try my best to do stuff. I'm not the dean. Of, I'm not dean anywhere yet. I, I do good work. I believe I do good work. But no, I'm not the dean. And I speak the language and, you know, have all of the advantages. So um, it's kind of like, wow, like... Uh, well, I, I, I mean, stuff like that comes out in the show Hungry Ghost, where it's like, you know, because ghosts to me aren't 
really only about, hey, blood or someone that scares you. It's also like all of the things that have happened before, because it's so easy for us to think, in a, particularly if we're raised in an individualistic society, which has so many benefits. And so I was raised in an education system that's like, hey, the individual's so important. It's so easy for us just to think, well, I chose to do this and I did this for this reason. And to me, a lot of what ghosts mean and what we were trying to articulate in Hungry Ghosts is that some of the things that we choose and we do are actually the results of things that have happened long before we were even born. It's not a scary thing. It's not a, a death or it, it's just there are influences that live on from choices and themes that happened a long time ago. Yeah, well, that's, that's really interesting because, um, of course, Hungry Ghosts does deal with the way that the trauma of the Vietnam War has sort of met different generations over time. And, of course, it's, it's set within the Melbourne Vietnamese-Australian community. And I'm interested in how your own experience and Vietnamese culture influenced the, the story. Yeah. Um, well, I guess how did my own experience influence the story? I, w- I would say that... Obviously, like if someone said to me, hey, a lot of traumatic things happened. Do you think there are still repercussions of that? Do we see the after effects of that in the modern Vietnamese diaspora? I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. And I'd, be, I'd also say, if that's the only aspect of the intergenerational or of the ghosts that you see, then you're not seeing the whole picture. Obviously, it was a big thing. I'm not denying that. Like, it influences me, even though, you know, I'm I'm, uh, removed from that. It influences my parents. It influences my family. But it's not the only thing. And to get a balanced sort of picture was something uh, important to us, I think, on the show. So, for example... um, just one of the things we wanted to do is I thought if it's just a ghost story, right, if it's just a a Western ghost story and then we populate it with Vietnamese Australians, first of all, that would be kind of cool. And I wouldn't want to populate, we wouldn't want to populate it with only Vietnamese Australians because that's not my experience. Like I I know that some people certainly only hang out and, and this is a super valid choice, but my own experience is that my friends, my colleagues are from, from everywhere, right? Many from here for a long time. Um, If we would just take the same Western ghost story and populating it with Vietnamese characters, that'd be all right. That'd be cool, I, I guess. But the way my parents would tell me a ghost story, it's very different from what I see when I go to see a movie in the West about ghosts. Because to grossly oversimplify, it feels like to me that often a ghost story in the West that I've been uh, familiar with is where the ghost might be a baddie or might be trying to scare you. And I don't think that was the strongest feature of the stories that my parents would tell me. There, definitely, there were haunting things and scary things. But I remember my aunt telling me she was so scared when she was little because she 
heard of the hungry ghost being something with such a small neck that it could just never eat. So it would put things in its mouth, but it couldn't swallow. And so there, it's not trying to scare us. It's not trying to do anything malevolent. The fear, it comes from empathy. We're thinking, oh my God, I imagine, like when we hear about someone falling down a well, like it's empathetic. We're like, oh my God, imagine how scary it would be to fall down the well. Or imagine how scary it would be to have lost something in life and not be able to let go. Because that's the haunting part. So many of the stories that my parents would tell me about ghosts, I feel were not about some malevolent thing, but more like a mother who didn't realize her child was gone. And so she was still looking for the child and would just wander the streets looking for the child. And she might be gone herself. And to me, there's some, it's, it's not othering the ghost. It's being like, that would be, so scary to be that guy. Oh, it's, it's tragic. Um, like, cause people, if they hear hungry ghosts, they want to see some, uh, some, you know, boo. It's some scary stuff. Yeah. Um, but we didn't want it to be just purely a Western story populated by uh, Asian characters. We also wanted to have the Asian ghost story if we could, and some of the different facets there. Mm. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Sorry, and and on that level of detail. Um, what kind of responsibility did you feel to try and get the representation right? And, um, you know, you mentioned your family a lot. Um, did you draw on them for, for, um, for material? Responsibility is the right word, isn't it, Fiat? Because if it were a different sort of context, I think, uh, we could just write what we felt like writing. And um, so it was my brother and I were in the room with Timothy Hobart and John Ridley and also Hua Pham, who, so I grew up reading her novels. So it was just awesome to be in the room with her. But responsibility, at least I can only speak for myself, but we couldn't just write anything or just it would like be totally free because, well, I, I kind of feel like we haven't seen that many Vietnamese but, it was a number of years ago when I would say this, but I used to say, oh man, the only time, like this, when I walk down the street, there's so many Asian people here, as long as well as so many people from different cultures. But there's a lot of Asian people when I walk down the street and the only time I see them on TV is on border security when it's some Asian dude trying to smuggle something through. And I'm like, this, that's, that's not a representative sample. It's true. I'm not saying it's not true, but it's not representative. And I'd be like, hey, why, how come there's all these shows about doctors? And when I go to my cousin's graduation, like I'm actually thinking, why is there not more diversity in this graduating class? Because like, you know, I, I went to all of my cousin's graduations. No, I went to a lot of their medical school graduations and there wasn't diversity there there was just a lot of Asian people. And I'm like, but why, when I look at a medical drama on TV, why am I not seeing? So luckily we're not in that place anymore. Um, or, you know, I like it that we're not in that place. But nonetheless, my brother and I did feel like, well, we haven't seen too many Vietnamese Australian people on TV yet. So we just want to get a balanced picture. We don't, we don't want to um, make it like, oh, everything's so great. I think it's, that would just people would know that that's false. And when I see that sort of stuff, I'm like, mm, you're trying to sell me something. I'd rather be honest about what sucks about you and what's cool about you. Let's, let's hear what it's like to be you sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Great. And and I've seen, um, Jeremy, that on your blog you've talked about um, being in that writer's room and you spoke about um, some of those writers you were collaborating with on this series. And I was just interested in what that process was like. Um. I mean, I think Timothy Hobart and John Ridley, I think, were the creators behind the series and um, just sort of how how did that collaborative process work with you and the other writers? Mm, yep. For me, for some reason, like the first day of where we were actually starting the brainstorm, maybe the day before, I smashed my wrist, my right wrist into a, like the surgeon uh, in the middle of the night was like, it's like a jigsaw puzzle with a million pieces. And I like jigsaws. And I was like, like, you know, normally if you hear a hairline fracture or he called it a jigsaw puzzle with many pieces and like, uh, yeah, I had these painkillers with me and it was like, all right, we're going into brainstorm on a thing. Uh, I just, oh, because like, you know, if your hand's in a, a, a cast sort of thing, you can't groom yourself the same way. So I just felt like, oh my goodness. But I, th- I think it's helpful. Well, I had to make the most of it. It's like getting rid of some filters so that it's just like we're going to talk about certain things. You know, when we talk about my conception of why ghosts and what it means and how it's decisions and influences on your life that took place before you were even born. What was crazy to me, I couldn't believe this, but like the reason my parents are here in Australia is because there was a thing called the Colombo plan. Um, So that was just, I think, a really forward-looking and really generous sort of program where it was like, uh, let's give some scholars from Vietnam the opportunity to go overseas for a little bit. It turns out, well, I don't, I don't think I even mentioned that, but it turned out in the writer's room, Tim said, um, you know, like, I didn't always get to see my dad. He was always off doing important things. So this is um, Tim Hobart who created the show. It was his conception. And he was like, yeah, you know, because my dad was off um, administering this Colombo plan to give people from overseas a chance to do this. And I was like... What? Like, and Hua, uh, Hua Pham, the novelist, who, she, uh, her parents were also Colombo plants. So it was like in that room, it was like, here's this link that uh, from a previous generation, none of those people were there in the room. And yet we were all there together trying to do something together. Like the children of, it seemed too coincidental to me. My my dad is also a Colombo plant student. No so that's, way! That's what brought him to Australia. So Ben, are you serious? The the, the uh, similarities and the echoes persist. <laughs> this is so cool, right? <laughs> well, we'll have to chat more about this one day, Ben. Like, wow, wow! So our parents probably know each other then. Yeah, very likely. Whoa! Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Yep. So in terms of uh, what the process was like, I guess, you know, like we were just throwing out lots of ideas in the brainstorm. Like Tim had a really 
captivating sort of thing that he like when he first was telling my brother Alan Nguyen and me about this um he was like this idea of epigenetics of where trauma you know passes from one generation to another and we were like okay that sounds like something it's worth thinking about us investigating it more and um I think even at that meeting, we mentioned that we'd like also like non-trauma stuff, like not necessarily happy, cheerful stuff, but just as a, a different type of haunting as well. And Tim was like, yeah, like when we were telling him, say, when I was 21 years old, like uh, I'm a long way from 21 nowadays. When I was 21, I would have said to the love of my life at the time, hey, We'll always be together. Like, and if things separate us, don't worry. Like, I will find a way. And like, you know, we will find a way. We won't stop until we come back together. If I were to rock up to her, I would never do this. Like, so uh, I would just let her know, don't worry. Like, this is, I'm trying to explain a little bit of horror here. Uh, But if I were to turn up to her house now, and be like, hey, remember, you know, we said if we ever got separated, I'd just move heaven and earth to be here. I'm here. Like she would, well, she'd have to call the cops, right? It would be horrific. Um, but if I had have died when I was 21, because of a war, say, because of some crazy things that happened in the world, and then finally turned up and was like, honey, you know, I promised you that I'd be here. She might be freaked the hell out, but he's not being a bad dude. He's still 21 in his mind. And imagine her just trying to explain to him because she would be freaked out, but she wouldn't be like, you're an evil ghost. She'd be like, i got to explain to you. Like, that was 20 years. I, like, I've got a husband. I've got kids. Like, I life moved on. You are stuck as a ghost. And uh, Tim was, uh, we were just saying that would be another way to get a ghost and a different, so- that's haunting, right? It's something you can't let go of. And Tim was like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, he, he liked that. He, he was very um, encouraging. He really wanted to know everyone's, he's great at that actually, to hear everyone in the room's opinions about things. I think that's something maybe I would like to learn from that. Because often when someone says something that's a bit dumb to me, I'm like, oh, did you have to? Whereas Tim, I think, gets it gives people their chance to say what they're going to say. And then he might just say, yeah, but for practical considerations, that would be very tough to film. Or, you know, he'll explain after someone gets their chance to say. Uh, so I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can all learn from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a real knack for that. And I'm curious, you mentioned um, co-writing with your brother, Alan. Have you always kind of had that dynamic where you write together or how does that actually work in practice, the pair of you? Yeah. Um, no, we haven't always written. I, I think as, so I don't want to say racist stuff, but just as a bit, <laughs> that's a low bar to be coming yeah. in with, you know, like I try not to be racist. Um, I'll just say this is an observation that I sometimes see. Sometimes in pre-COVID times when I was at the shops, if I would see two young boys, like six and seven sort of who are Asian, they might be uh, fighting each other, not, not actually fighting, but doing Kung Fu type stuff on each other. And uh, it's just kind of like, 
how come you guys can just do Kung Fu on each other in a public place and people aren't concerned? And I was like, yeah, that's my brother and I. We uh, did a lot of, I guess, just like wailing on it. Like, I hope that no one got hurt too much because I was the older brother. And I know that uh, I've learned things in life. Like, I've made mistakes <laughs> in my life. So I'm very sorry to my brother for that I was didn't understand that I was bigger. But, yeah, we used to bicker a lot. And then, you know, in the teenage and young adult years, I would say we clashed a fair um, like we we loved each other. There was a really, but we just had to clash a lot. Like maybe that's a young male thing where often you, there is just a period where you have to just clash a little bit and hope you don't hurt anyone to or get hurt too much. Um, so this sounds I, very similar to my closest brother and I. <laughs> really? How are you? You look like maybe you're the uh, the younger brother. I'm I'm the eldest. He's a year and a half younger. Okay, and you guys clashed a little bit. Mm. For me and Alan, it was good in that now if we're working on some writing thing, and I'm like, it's got to go like this, or it's got. And he's like, no, but I just think it would be like, he's a really calm dude. Sometimes I am less calm. So it's really good to have his presence. Um, but we've navigated so many differences before. We know how to do it with a minimum of damage sort of thing. We know what a bad argument looked like and we know how to just avoid that. I, oh, that's my hope. Yeah, so... Um, there was a period in my life where I was just really, really super unwell um, and I needed care from uh, like my family and my brother. Like he was a young man. He had better things to do with his life. I, he was meant to move to Melbourne, be with all his friends because we're from Brisbane. Um, but he just hung around in looked after me like in a very physical way as well as just uh, cheered me up like – I was inconsolable at the time. Um, I would like to think that I appreciated him before that, but that left a deep impression on me, a really deep impression on me. I didn't, like, it sounds harsh, but I didn't know he had it in him. I thought he was the baby of the family and he just does what he wants. But it, when the time came, he was like, I, I got you and I got this. And um, then we were living in different cities for a long time. Like I was overseas, he was overseas. Uh, we were in different places. And then just jobs brought us both to Melbourne and meeting each other every week for fur um, and then just for a chat. It was like, whoa, like as guys, we often don't think to say, oh, I miss my brother. I never would have been aware of that emotion. But when I'm actually there in the same city as him. I'm like, this is way better than what used to take place. And then what happened was um, I was watching this show Breaking Bad, right? And I just think Breaking Bad is such an incredible show. And I also really like the content behind it. If I'm going off topic, just let me know. Um, what I loved about Breaking Bad, quite apart from all of the, because I don't overly care about like drug dealing or that sort of stuff. But like to me was, like everyone observes, one of the core things is that there's a dad and then his son can't really connect with his dad, even though the dad is about to die of cancer. 
he can't really connect. But the person he does connect with, the Jesse guy, the naughty guy who he makes drugs, the reason he connects with him, and it's almost like a surrogate son, is because they're working on a project together. And to me, that didn't seem like fiction. It seemed like for better or for worse, there are some male experiences. And maybe in the future, things will get better. So they're not like that. But for better or for worse, historically, one way that men couldn't form connections, but then would be able to form a connection is if they work on a project together. And so, you know, Alan and I were just like, hey, let's find a project to work on together so that because we used to be like really good buddies sort of thing. And now, you know, we're old and our lives have drifted apart and having that there. So instead of cooking up meth in a, in a, in a trailer, instead having that, like, you know, cause he does something so different to my life. Um, but having this thing where we get together and write things together means that we have this connection and we do, it creates a new sort of bond for us. So yeah, I'm very thankful for that. It's one of the good things in my life. Yeah. Great. Jeremy, you talked about uh, on your blog sitting down and seeing the finished results of Hungry Ghosts. I know um, I'm not sure when you you saw the final the final version, but it's it's obviously all out now. It's available on SBS on demand. What did you think when you first saw it um, hit the screens? Yeah, well, with first of all, thank you for reading my blog. I should check out. You've got a blog too, don't you, Ben? I should check out some of yours. It's only fair, right? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if if, it, if you're reading a blog. I'm not sure it's mine. Maybe it's um uh, someone's. Oh, okay. Day. But do you have a blog? I should check out yours. <laughs> no. no. Okay. I've, I've, I've right. got, no I have written some uh, a couple of articles in the past for the guide which Fiona runs. So um, I'll, I'll claim credit for that. Read read uh, all of the work that Fiona edits. Okay. Okay, I, I will definitely. Oh, maybe not all, but I will check out some. <laughs> Every last article, please. Okay. <laughs> well, I believe in work ethic. Well, I think your question was um. So you know, when did you watch the show, and what was your reaction? Um, I. Uh, so my partner Felicity was saying, "Hey, it's going to be on," and I was like, "Well, like, yeah, I, I, like." so much work went into it. I don't know if when I'm watching it, it will just feel like lots of work and did it work? Did it not work? Did it come across the, um, and she was like, oh, come on. Like, and so uh, we started getting excited um, because my brother, while he watched previews, I didn't, I, um, I typically like to go in without knowing it. It's funny to say to go without knowing anything when I was a writer on it, but with <laughs> other things, I just want to go in, like get the, an untainted sort of experience. And um, so we were watching them every day. Uh, uh, Felicity normally goes to bed at 9.30. So this was her staying up and she was like, let's do it. And we were watching them until the second, like we'd watch the first two episodes, like live when they came on. And both of us noticed, like, I was like, so for all this thing that I've said, where ghosts aren't only about scary, and that's not what we're, that's partly what we're trying to do. Like, I would just, uh, in the morning, I'd be like, darling, I had a, a dream where there was this psycho, and the psycho just really wanted to hurt me. And it was okay. It wasn't the worst. And then she would tell me about how 
not that she had nightmares, but that she was like, oh, I woke up like five times during the night. So we were like, all right, uh, while the plan was to continue watching them, like just before we go to bed sort of thing, let's uh, do a catch up during the day and like watch it online during the day. So that's when we watched it. And it was just cool to see. Um, I mean, we're lucky with good actors, right? That they can bring with everybody with how much of a collaborative process things are. There's things you have in your mind. And then when you see what so many other people bring to it and you're like, I never would have thought of that. That's it's so much richer than I would have thought. Like, yeah, we're, we're really fortunate. Yeah. That's very cool. We should check whether everyone had a fitful sleep when they, when they were watching it. We should just do a poll, see if anyone, everyone slept okay after watching. Um, and um, we did touch on a little bit before, but I'm just curious um, for your take, you know, race and culture being in the spotlight so much, more so at the moment especially, um, what would you like to see more of from the Australian TV industry? I guess I'm just going to speak freely. Like, you know, I can't just try to say what uh, people would like to hear. Or, but I kind of feel like uh, my partner, Felicity, is a remarkably effective manager. Um, she's just really good at what she does. And I think part of that is not going and telling other people what to do but just working out why people would want to do something. So like, if I was like, ah, oh, I wish the film and TV industry would give me a $10 million. So I never had to work again. It's like, why would that? That's, they've got their own opinions, right? They've got their own desires. So I don't know that it's like, I, I, I think we live in an, I don't want to be dismissive of people who have real and legitimate things where they're like, I wish you would do this so that justice can be served or so that the right thing. But in my life, when I go telling people what to do uh, or making demands of people, it hasn't worked as well. So I'm a PhD supervisor, right? And sometimes when I say to my PhD students, this is for your own interests. Just do this and you'll be complete. You'll have papers. You'll... It doesn't work. Well, uh, oh, that's not right. Other people can make it work. In my own life, what I see being very effective is to respect that the other party has reasons for what they do. And then to think, there's things that I want and there's things that they want. Is there something that I want that would clearly serve their interests? Like, would they benefit from something that, like, do we both benefit from that? If that's really abstract, I, oh, it's, it, it links into the show because I think there's a real danger of being like ghosts of these baddies. You know, once you die, you become a jerk and you just scare people. And so my family and I have it really good nowadays, right? But there was a time when we were the baddies, it's like, you guys coming here, you're the, that's not the way people treat me anymore at all, at all. I want to be very thankful and I want us to spare thoughts for the people who are having the fingers pointed. But I would be like, I think ghosts 
have reasons for what they do, or everyone has reasons for what they do. And why go and tell someone else what to do? You could let them know your own opinion. Like if someone's trading on my foot, I might be like, hey, that really hurts my foot. And also, you know, whatever. But yeah, uh, so that's how it ties in. We were trying to write ghosts that had their own motives. And it's not like, hey, why don't we dominate our, like, we want you to go back to hell land or, you know, we'll put you in this prison. More like we've got to work out what the ghost wants and why they can't let go and maybe speak to that as well. I, th I think that in my life, uh, that's not always the way I've behaved, but in the limited times when I have thought about the other person's perspective and tried to communicate across that, I've been vastly more effective. The more you talk about ghosts in the series, Jeremy, the more I'm keen to look forward to the crossover with Ghostbusters just to kind of see how those two worlds collide. But actually, um, talking about worlds colliding, you, um, you've you mentioned you're an academic. You're also you know, quite a, an accomplished economist. Um, and this this feels like an unusual path to becoming a, a writer. So I'm, I'm interested both in how you balance, you know, those two sides of your career, but also what advice you would have for people who are, you know, attempting to step into the, the world of writing for television. Mm. I don't know that I'm the right person to like be giving out advice. I can just say what what's happened in my life and what I wish I knew when I was younger. Um, in terms of the balance of the two, I think when I was younger, I saw being an economist and being a writer as being very different, um, particularly. And it, I think we see a little bit of this in the show. We were thinking, do we really need to, or should we do that storyline of this a young guy who wants to be an artist and his dad is telling him, hey, you know, like get something steady first on. We were like, is, do we need and it was just like yeah but all of my cousins and it's just so many to just say we've seen that before would be to erase such a large part of the surreal of, of my life because that's what I've gone through like you know being like I'm going to be a writer mum and dad and my parents being like hey I tell you what like because like, why don't you become an academic and then you'll get all this spare time as a lecturer or a professor. You'll have all this spare time to write. And it was only after I got tenure that I was like, there's no spare time. And mum and dad knew that because they were both academics. They pulled the ultimate con job on me. And part of what made me want to write, like on the show when there's this guy, Daniel, who wants to be an artist, is for most of my life, I've been the Daniel, right? Seeing it from that perspective. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what, uh, what the heavens decide, but maybe I'll be a father in, in not too distant future. And I'm certainly like, we're thinking in those sorts of ways. And all of a sudden I can be, think like, I wonder what I would say to my kid. I could see that my parents did it from a place of love. And in many ways it was a good call. But so when I was younger, I clearly thought it was a bait and switch, right? That was what my parents said to do, whereas this is what I wanted to do. As I get, um, as I'm 
older and have done. I, I think that they're, for me at least, that when it's working w- well, like because I can do things that are okay. I just try to do my best for everything. But sometimes, you know, people respond to certain things. And when th- people are responding well to something, it's when the two are actually very similar, I think. Like um, for a young academic, the first time you go and do like lectures, it's it's rough, right? You've just finished doing a PhD and they're like, just say you've got two subjects, that's like four hours of show. You're writing a four hour show every week without a writer's room. You've got beats, right? You've got the beats, the beat sheet of what's going to happen, but you have to make it pop. Like you have to like get the intrigue. So getting battle tested in front of hundreds of like so seeing the viewer like hundreds of viewers and seeing which parts don't land with them which characters or which sort of devices keep people in when people need a bit of a break like for a bit of humor um i see that as being for me it was great training to work out what bores people, and I hope I'm not boring you right now, and what uh, brings people back in. Um, And then the idea of, like, what doing science is. To me, doing science is looking at a great deal of complicated data and then pulling out a meaningful and helpful story from that. And the TV shows that I've been involved with so far, the plays, the, the writing has been like, well, the world's super complicated, but can we just draw out a useful, captivating story from that? Um, and I now no longer see that there's much, it, when it's working well, it seems like I'm just doing the same thing. Yeah, not exactly. And the, the skills trend, like when I learn something cool in a writer's room or I learn something cool in, academia from someone who's really good and then i'm like hey will it work here good tools transfer so well it's it's wonderful it's really wonderful yeah i think that probably your experience is probably true for most writers in that you know sort of what you bring to it is is quite unique but but what are the you know the lessons that you learn through your everyday life that then you can transfer into your writing Hmm. Yeah. And I'd love to know, we've been talking about your own work there, um, but we always like to ask our guests what they've been watching, um, you know, loving or hating. <laughs> um, yeah. what, what's been on, on your radar of late? Um, I think we're at a unique point in time right now where we can just hear from the, d- directly from elite level people so i mean when i first heard about masterclass and it's like all right aaron sorkin's Mm -hmm. like they're just gonna give like and we can just watch a lecture like that but it niches down into so many different things um so i i really am watching a lot of courses from people who just seem to be able to do things or yeah I seem to be watching a lot of people who are able to do things that I wish I could do so I remember Ben saying hey how would you balance things there's a YouTuber who I I'm just I find him interesting I'm not saying he's great but there's a YouTuber named Ali Abdal who is a doctor 
He's uh, in the NHS in the UK. And I think he came first in Cambridge Medicine, but he's like, I make more money from my YouTube than I do from as a doctor. And why don't I just show you how to do that? And he's got whacked out tips. He's, one of his tips for living better is he's like, everything on YouTube, watch it at 2.5 speed. You just get more into your brain. And it's kind of a good tip. It's kind of a crazy tip. But then I also realized, I think YouTubers get paid by the minutes watched. So if everyone hits 2.5, he gets paid. Too. He's such a <laughs> clever and cheeky guy to do that. So I, I like that. Um, I just saw the first episode of, I think it's called the, um, you would know, like, uh, is it called The Morning Show? Have you watched The yep. Morning yeah, oh, that started to knock me out, right? Like, I just feel like if if many things feel like they were done in a, living a little bit in the past, or living in TV land, or living in book land, this one to, like to address me too with the world that we live in, as well as the cultural war. In it, just one of those, I'd be like, hey, that's addressing the world that I live in. That, like, instead of being in TV land, yeah, like the cultural war where left and right cannot, you know, cannot talk to each other. And then having me to in the same thing, I'm just like, wow, I wonder if it's going to date very quickly. I, I would worry about that. But right now, it was very exciting for me to watch. I actually also haven't seen um, Better Call Saul. So I watched like the first episode of that and I was uh, I was just amazed by that. I'm really keen to see I understand the new season of um The Boys that superhero have- show is uh, happening. Yeah, those are some of the things that I've been enjoying. Yeah, that's a very good. Cool Do you have good tips for me? Do you, are there things where you think uh, Um what have we been watching lately? Uh that that's why you need to subscribe to the playlist so that we give you tips every and week. And two and a half speed so you get through more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two and a half speed thing is a good tip for SBS on demand because um, maybe that's a way for people to power through more content. There, we haven't got that functionality, but that's that's good for us. How many men? But um. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Um, you've been a fantastic guest. So, um, and congratulations on Hungry Ghosts. I know it's you know really sort of hit a nerve in many ways with with many um, different audiences. And uh, you know, I think it's a, a show you should be very proud of. So, um, yeah, thank you for coming on and and um, helping us to understand a little bit more about about it yeah oh well thank you fiona thanks ben uh, this, i reckon our parents know each other we should catch up sometime i'd, I'd like to know more about your, your life. yeah yeah not in a creepy way <laughs> <laughs> sounds good So that was Jeremy Nguyen and um, Ben, sounds like you two have got a bit of catching up to do. I know. Yeah, just uh, could barely break off the conversation because we just had so much in common. (laughs) Um, No, it was a great chat and really appreciate Jeremy taking the time. um, Yeah, and shout out to all our friends in Melbourne. And on the strength of that, go go and uh, watch or rewatch Hungry Ghosts. It's all now streaming up at SBS On Demand. Yeah, I actually feel like I wouldn't mind a rewatch having had that chat with him. You know, very interesting guy. 
And it is something I think quite special when we have a new Australian drama. SBS doesn't doesn't do a whole heap of Australian drama, and this one really does take us into a community that we haven't really heard that many stories from on television before. Yeah, I love talking to writers just uh, to talk, find out more about the detail that goes into the show. So that was fantastic. Mm. Well, that's all we have for this week. Just a, a special edition. And for more future editions, make sure you listen to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts and give us a lot of stars and leave a nice review because it helps people to find the show. And you can let us know what you thought of the movies and TV shows we discussed on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. I'm on Twitter at Ben Nguyen TV. I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. And The Playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>